Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great. Ladies and gents, we're in a series called Money Talks, as I've mentioned. So quickly look to the person next to you, tell them, Money Talks. Money Talks. <clears throat> Great. So the idea behind the series is, imagine with me for a moment, if your money could talk to you, what would it say? What do you think it would be saying? I believe we will not be shocked at what our money tells us if it could speak to us. Am I correct when I'm saying that? It will probably be along the lines of, yeah, I know you would have told me, or yeah, I should not have done that, you're right, <laughs> kind of idea. I don't think we're going to be shocked. The point behind our money speaking to us, I think the shocker in this series is not the fact that we do not know. I think everybody wants to make good financial decisions. We don't make bad ones deliberately. And um, assuming that our money is for us, I think we would most likely know what it will tell us. If I'm correct. However, what I do believe in this series might be shocking is to discover how similar what your money would have said is to what Jesus did say. And we're going to be looking at how the parallel between what your money would say if it could speak to you is connected to what Jesus did say when he did speak about money. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, you might not know this. So I quickly want to give you some facts about Jesus and money. Maybe you do not know this, but um, in reality, Jesus spoke more about money than what he did about heaven. Can you believe that? Out of the 36 parables, about like 30 plus parables Jesus told about the kingdom, 16 of them is about money. How we handle our money, how we handle our wealth with us. Obviously, it's quite important for Jesus to give us clarity about money. And you know what's even more shocking? With Jesus speaking so much about money, he did not once ask for money. I mean, that's like a new level record for a pastor. These days, when you speak about money, people think, oh, okay, I'm going to have to open up the pockets. Jesus spoke so much about money, yet he never asked for money. We actually have one instance of Jesus asking for money, and it was like, give me a coin, I'm going to do a coin trick. I'm joking, it's not really a coin trick, but he did use this coin, and for all we know, he asked it because he didn't have a coin with him meaning he was so poor, and also, at the end of the illustration, he actually gave this coin back, as far as we can read the scriptures. So Jesus spoke about money quite a lot, yet he never asked for money. Why? Have you ever wondered why Jesus would make money such a big priority? And what we're going to be doing during this series is we're going to be looking at three different spaces where Jesus spoke about money, and we're going to look at how it correlates and it's parallel to what money would say to us. So let's dive in. I believe what Jesus and what money would tell us, the first thing it would tell us, if it could tell us something, would be this. Money would tell you and me that I, money, can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. Yes, preach it, sister. Preach it. You know it. Okay? So money would tell you and it would tell me that I can add meaning, but I'm not the meaning. 
Do not confuse me. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning. Money would remind you that it really doesn't get lots of play at funerals. I mean, when you're at a funeral, people is not going to speak about how much money you had. They're going to tell other stories that money might be mentioned if the person gave away a lot of money. Then, then probably it would be mentioned at a funeral. Money would also be quick to remind us that if you make me the end, you might end up alone. Money would tell you if you're going to make me the end of your life, you might probably end up alone. Using money as a means to an end is what makes money meaningful. That's the thing. And in fact, this is a statement about life. If you do not believe in Jesus, if you're not a Christian today, you probably would agree with the statement. Whenever you don't use something as a means to an end, it has no meaning. That's the thing that gives it meaning. Because there is a certain end that this thing is going to be used. And I've used the example of this beautiful tool. I'm going to play around with it. It's so nice. So excited. All the guys are getting happy now. My power tools. Okay? The thing is, if I see this as the end, it has no meaning. But the moment I see what it is made for, it is a means to become a human being, as they say in Afrikaans. Your wife looks at you and she tells you, honey, can a man sneer? It's opposite me. And then you become a human being. To just translate that quickly, can a human being not put up, frame something there, put it there, drill a hole there, and then suddenly you discover you've just become a human being. And before that, I don't know what you were, but now suddenly you are one. Okay? So the reality is it's like this tool. This tool has no meaning if it's not focused to a different end, if it's not used. That's the thing that gives life meaning in every area of your life and for you as a person. If you want to have and live a meaningful life, you have to become a means to an end that is not you. I'm going to say that again. If you want to live a meaningful life, and I believe we all do, you have to become a means to an end that is not you. And Jesus talked about this. He talked about how money is something that can bring meaning, but it's not the meaning, and it does, it does this in the parable of the shrewd manager, and I want us to go through this parable, parable this morning and reflect and have a little bit of stops, like water stops, and just see what Jesus is busy saying, because Jesus is a brilliant storyteller. I mean, he captivates his audience. You're going to see it. His first century audience and today, his 21st century audience, I believe you'll be at the front of your seat as you get to the end of this parable, and then he hits us with a piece of truth when it comes to money. So let's dive in. It's Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. If you have your Bible with you and you want to read with, you're more than welcome to. So Jesus starts, he told his disciples, there once was a rich man. Now, just by the way, parables aren't true. They're like a story to kind of get a truth through. So this didn't really happen, but Jesus is busy explaining something. He says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So Jesus is talking about a guy that is so rich, he had so much stuff, he had to appoint another guy just to look after all of his stuff. Okay? That sounds like a, who would like to be there one day. I'd love to be there. 
okay, whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Then verse 2, after discovering that his manager is wasting and he's not really a good steward of what he has been um, entrusted with, he sent, he sent for him and he called him and he said and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? I want you to give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. What happened? The rich man discovers the guy that he's entrusted with all of his wealth have not been doing a good job. He's been a little bit selfish. He calls him in, tells him, listen here, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. You need to bring me an account of all the wrong that you've done. Your job's over. I want to give it over to someone else. You don't have a job anymore. Not a nice conversation. Verse 3, the manager then said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Obviously, this guy doesn't have the capacity. He realizes he's in big trouble. He's not going to have the strength and the, and the tenacity to actually move on. So this guy starts making a plan. He realizes, I only have a little bit of time. Everybody say a little bit of time. And a little bit of opportunity. Everybody say a little bit of opportunity. Okay, you're almost there with me. Time, opportunity, little bit. That's what he realizes. He has left. Okay, so he starts making a plan. Verse 4, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. That's the plan. Suddenly realizes he has an opportunity to impact his future from this moment. That's what's busy happening. And then he gives us an example of only two of these managers, two of these clients of his, of his, of his um, master that he connected with. But the Bible says he went to all of them. So verse 5 says the following. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? The guy replied, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bowl, sit down quickly, quickly, sit down quickly, because I don't have much time. I need to use this little bit of time to the best advantage possible before it runs out, and I might not have someone later on welcoming me in. Sit down quickly, quick to add. Let's sit down quickly, and let's make that 900 gallons only 450. Now, if you are the guy that owes, you're thinking, this is amazing. If you are the guy who is owed to the rich man, you're thinking, unbelievable. Can you even think that this manager would do it? It just doesn't make sense. But let's read on. Verse 7, second example. He then asked a second guy, how much do you owe, my master? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and let's make it 800 quickly. He settled all the accounts with a huge discount. That's what this guy did. That was his plan. So that he would find favor in his master's debtors. Can you imagine being one of those debtors? Like, yes, I like this guy. I'm definitely going to give him a call later on when he doesn't have a work anymore. He was so nice to me. He did me a few favors. So he had a few guys owing him a few favors. And then Jesus, 
after hearing this, ends it off with the shocker. He starts off and he says, the master, meaning now the master has heard of this. What do you think we would think is the natural turn of events? It would be the master is going to sort this guy out till he doesn't know where he's standing evermore, any place, anywhere. He's going to get it. He's going straight to prison. That's exactly what his first century Jewish audience were thinking. They were leaning in. They were like, obviously, this guy, the big boss. And that's probably what we're thinking. We're thinking Jesus is going to sort out. Obviously, in this story, the master is going to sort out this little arrogant guy that's busy cheating him even when he's asking him to bring his accounts and he's finished. He's busy making side deals for himself. He's going to get trouble. But listen to what Jesus says. We thought that this guy would get sorted out by the master. Instead, Jesus says the master commended the dishonest manager. What's going on here? Do you know what commended means? It means I compliment you. Well done, buddy. High five. Take it. You are next level. You are amazing. I mean, he smiled at him and said, you are a brilliant, dishonest manager. Well done. Take five. Doesn't make sense. And now you're like, Jesus has your attention. Jesus, what's going on? What are you trying to say? What is behind this story? What are you trying to lift out? Listen to why he commended, complimented, smiled, high-fived this guy. He said, because he had acted shrewdly. He had acted shrewdly. Now, I know for some of us, like me, I had to go and look up this word, so I'll quickly just let you guys know what it is. To act shrewdly means to act in a way that shows sharp powers of judgment, astutely, to quickly think, to judge, to think about what's going to be happening. And this guy was commended because he could see in his circumstances there were trouble coming, and he could make a judgment looking beyond him not having a job anymore. He could use the little bit of time and the little bit of opportunity that he had available, and he thought ahead. That's basically what it meant. He was quick to think ahead. Now, after this, here is where the parable ends. And then Jesus climbs out of the parable. And he starts applying this parable. He starts speaking to his audience about what can we learn from this dishonest, shrewd manager. What is the story? And then he says, for the people of this world. That's the people that lives in the here and now. The people who lives only between the dash, saying all there is is right now. Not people seeing an eternal perspective, people only living for now, for my joy right now. He makes a statement about these people. Jesus says, people living in the here and now are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So he's saying, the guys in this world think things through. They're more forward-thinking. They're more calculated when it comes to dealing with the stuff that they have more than the people of the light, which in those days would have been the Jews, and in our days, because we follow Jesus, would be the church. And Jesus is making a comment on how the church engages with their wealth. How are they working with what they have received? He says the money manager was basically commended because he took full 
advantage of the little time and little opportunity that he had available. And Jesus is saying when it comes to our time, our treasures, and our talents, we ought to view it in a bigger context. We have to see an eternal perspective, and we need to be shrewd. We need to be forward thinking. We need to think clearly about what we have and what we are to do with it. He say, we are not doing that. That's the statement that he's making in this story. Basically, he's saying, how do I get maximum use of this opportunity with my little bit of time I have available? He's challenging us when it comes to our stuff to think clearly, to think shrewdly. And then in verse 9, he blows our minds. Because I cannot fully explain to you what he says in this verse, but I know if you understand the core of it, it will change your life forever. It will change the way you work with the stuff that you have been given forever. It can literally change things upside down. It says the following, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So first of all, there is another kind of wealth. If you're listening with me, worldly wealth, what other wealth is there? You're listening. There is a different kind of wealth, Jesus speaks about. He says, if you use this worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying money is a means to an end that goes beyond us and it even goes beyond this life. The way you use your money today can have an impact on eternity. That is insane. Can you imagine that? And he asks us to think in this little bit of time, little bit of opportunity, to think how are we going to use the money we have so that it will have an impact on eternity. And what he makes here is he makes the statement that money is not just a means, but it's also a tool. The right now resources that you have, your right now resources, have the potential to make a forever difference. Think about that for a moment. Now, when Jesus says this, like I've mentioned, he says money is a tool. It's something you use to build as something else. It's, a, it's something that can bring meaning, but it's not the meaning. And I want to share with you this morning two ways of we, of how myself and my wife, how we applied this tool in our life. And um, seeing an eternal perspective in the future. The first one is that we've made the decision to live off a certain percentage of our income. Now, this is very important. You need to get me. This is brilliant. If you write down something today, this is what you need to write down. Here is why you need to make that decision in advance. Because all of us sitting here, I don't know anything about you, but, but I do know this. You live off a percentage of your income. Am I correct when I'm saying that? Some of us have already been shrewd. We've already decided in advance. We've been forward thinking about what that percentage will be. Because if you do not think, your lifestyle will determine it for you. That's the reality. 
So we've been shrewd when it comes to our money as a tool. We've decided in advance there is a certain percentage that we're going to live off and the rest we're going to give and honor God with and we're going to use to bless other people with. That was our decision. We're using it as a tool. I'm going to say a little bit more about that a little later on. Another thing that we've decided was to not hoard our stuff. Have you ever met people that's like hoarders? They have stuff for days. Now, let me tell you, I moved just like three weeks back, and I've discovered, even though I'm trying not to hoard stuff, I'm trying not to keep stuff, for some other reason, they end up in boxes and top of cupboards, and I've never seen them again. Anybody can relate to that. Lots of stuff that you need to sort out. I actually had an um, uncle made it his mission in life to keep everything that he has. He even kept some clothes from high school, and he was so proud of it, he invited me over to come and pick whatever I want, and I was like, yeah, I'm cool, excited, too. <laughs> a little bit out of date here, but um, as I'm there, and, I sh and he's showing me all of his stuff, very excited about it, at a certain point, he looks at a guy walking on the street, and he says, I'd much rather give it to you than to that guy, and I just, like, my heart just dropped. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, man, you say you follow Jesus, but that's what you do with your stuff. You have so much opportunity to do the following because this is what happened when we decided everything is open. Nothing is off limits. Not one of our things that God has given us will be off limits. We're not going to hoard it. We're going to bless people with it. And what happened was our stuff turned in to stories. That's what happened. If you're going to decide not to hold on to your stuff, but instead, when you see that thing that you want to put away, you know you're not going to use it for at least two years, and then you're going to find it, and then you're going to anyway throw it away or give it away, why not just stop there and give it to someone else and bless someone else with it? And you have the opportunity to have a story. You know, one day when you're going to die, nobody's going to speak about your stuff, but they're going to have lots of stories to share. Do you want stuff or do you want stories? I quickly want to share with you a story that changed my life and, and, and in a sense opened up my eyes. We just got married and while we were engaged, we saw this <clears throat> beautiful Emboya wood, wooden set, eight chairs, got it for a bargain of a price with a buffet together. It was just like an amazing dining room set. Solid in Boyerwood, 4,000 Rand. Can you believe that? That's like a steal. We got it in Pretoria. We then moved to Bloemfontein. When we rocked up in Bloemfontein, as it would be, the one morning I'm driving in my car past a couple's house, and I feel this tug on my heart of God telling me, this is not your Emboya set. You are only the means. <laughs> You're only the tool to something else that I want to do. It is theirs. I want you to bless them with that whole set. Now that set is about 30,000 Rand worth. It took a few days for me to catch on with the idea. <laughs> if you guys can imagine. And then finally, the one morning when I just couldn't hold back anymore, I gave my wife a call and told her, listen, it's time. We need to do this. So I called the couple immediately. We saw them an hour later and sitting with them in their living room, telling them this is what's happened in our hearts. We want to give you this. We believe it's not ours. It's yours. 
the lady bursted out in tears because she has been working through something of an injustice that she's been experiencing, not having her father at her wedding day to walk her down the aisle. And she's been dealing with God about this thing. How could she miss out on that? She just came back from a Bible study where God spoke to her and said, I'm your father and I can replace whatever. And the moment we walked in, she felt like when we said, this is what we want to give you, God is giving her a little wedding present, saying, I can come and deal with your brokenness. I can stand in for whatever you've lost. We have a story. It was a beautiful moment to see how God could use my stuff and change someone's brokenness in that moment. Communicate a piece of his love that will stay with that woman forever. Do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? Jesus goes on. Let's go back to the parable, verse 10. And he tells us he's busy ending off. He's two things that he's going to do now. So he says money is a means to an end. It's to be used as a tool with an eternal perspective, not just for the here and now. Think further than that. And then he goes on, verse 10, says the following. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worthy wealth, there you see, who will trust you with true riches? These two verses, Jesus says, it's not just a means, not just a tool, but money is also a taste. It's can you be trustworthy with what God has given you, seeing it in an eternal perspective? That's what he's saying. Saying, do you know that money is a test to see to which kingdom you are most devoted to? So I've asked Cindy to come and join me quickly this morning, knowing that she is brilliant at um, competition. And we have a little test up here. It's called the buzzer test. Can you hear this? Let me just let me just check here. Everybody can hear? Okay, so just so you can see how it looks like when you're doing a test. We're gonna see you get three tries. We must not hear a buzzer. Let's see how far you can get. Make it to the other side. No, no, it's on. Please, you can stand behind and... And she's going. Oh, start again. Come on, guys, let's cheer a little bit. Okay, need to focus. Here's the thing, here's the thing, people. We need to focus. Shh, pin dropping. Focus. But <laughs> let's give her a big hand. <laughs> Guys, in order to get this taste done well, you have to focus. Yes, check this out, check this out, check this out, check this out. I've switched it off. No, I'm joking. I haven't switched it off. I'm just going like a bone, yeah. <laughs> Great. So, oh, 
There we go. Are we good? Are we good? No, we're not. There we go. Great. So money is a test. And God is testing us to see whether we are focusing on his plans, his kingdom, his idea of what he wants to do. And I know we get lost in distractions every single day. And I want to tell you a story of one of my moments of test. Here it goes. We just moved into our brand new house, not the one that we're staying in now. The first one that we ever got the opportunity to buy. Just look at that. It's a beautiful space. Very excited. We were praying for it for quite some time. Never even mentioned that I want to move into like a Cape Dutch style house, and it just happened. So it was so cool to see how God blessed us with this. And God went even further than just giving us the perfect house, what our hearts desired. He even gave us a 300,000 Rand breakthrough to buy this house. It was mind-blowing. It was just like, God, your goodness is just showering down on the Murray family, and we are so thankful for that. The reality of this house was that the one morning when I was walking out that little, um, that little gate to go and do some quiet time, I experienced closing that gate behind me that God challenges me in that moment to tithe on that 300,000 Rand breakthrough. <laughs> and now the smiles go. <laughs> Exciting. So needless to say, this also took me a while, if you guys can get to the point. Um, it was about a, a year. I talked to a few people, and then lately, and slowly but surely, it just like died off in my mind. It implied that we would give up our savings. That's what it implied. And that next year, we made the most horrible mistake that any parent could ever make, when you have your baby, do not do what we've done. If you have your child for the first year, do not take your medical aid down to only a hospital plan. Never do that. <laughs> okay? Because that year, we had to pay so many bills that came out of the two sides of our savings that we had that the one side we totally depleted and all we had left, the one morning that happened, what I'm telling you now happened, was that 30,000 rand. So I wake up in the morning, my wife and John sick like crazy. It is a Sunday morning, best morning to wake up and have that if you're a pastor. It's crazy. Everything in your house is going, we do not have parents in this city. So we needed to call someone to quickly come in and check after them and help my wife just through this chaos. And I went to my car afterwards, coming back after this terrible morning. I'm like, I don't have money. This is going crazy. Can we just not stop? It was a really, really rough year in our house and uh, for that year. And then that day was like one of the pinnacle moments. I put my, my boy in the car. We drive out to the star stop, the one that's not existing anymore, on the way out to the N1. I sit there and I go and speak to God. I start praying and I'm saying, God, please help me. Now I need your healing power. Please, Jesus, please heal my wife and my boy that I don't have to use my savings account. <laughs> that was my words in my prayer. And the moment I said it, it dropped. That I've been seeing money as my end. And guys, when you see money as the end of your life, Everything else becomes a means, even God. 
and I wanted him to protect my true security. That's what happened in that moment. And when I realized that I had to choose who's going to be the king of my life, is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be my savings? Who's going to be my security? Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be my savings? I realized that my heart broke, started like just tears coming down my eyes, called my wife, went back home, opened up the internet, paid over, and I tithed on it. I'm not telling you this story because I'm proud of it. In fact, I failed the test. After I've paid that tithe, with Jesus just showing me what this thing was busy doing in my life, suddenly my house was so beautiful. I cannot tell you. All the pressure was just off. I don't know why, but it just went off like this very light burden that I carried. It was a mind-blowing moment for me. If you were wondering why I'm still to this day, every single month, paying a tithe, it's because I have decided that Jesus is my end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, not my money. And therefore, every single month, I put away 10% of my finances. First thing that goes off, and people that knows me, you'll know this is what I'm doing. Because in that moment, I make a statement that, God, I'm devoted to you more than I am to my money. Money, you're not the boss of me. Jesus, you are my king, and your kingdom comes first. I do this every month. I do this consistently, and I keep my contribution exactly at 10%. That was my choice. Because it's a step of faith, guys. And I've discovered that when you trust God... When you do what he tells you to do, when you put him in charge of your life, and when it comes to money, it's basically three things. It is tithe, meaning honor me, put me first in your life. Live generously with what I've given you, because I have created a world of abundance, and be a good steward. Then, whenever I'm in trouble, my money is not my responsibility, it's God's responsibility. I'm doing what he's telling me. And guys, let me tell you, I've done this many times, saying, God, listen, I'm living in line with your will. We're not going to make it at the end of the month. Your responsibility, and there is not one month that I have not come through. People has even paid, and I don't even know who they are. Next moment, I get money into my account. I'm like, what's this? Where does it come from? Or opportunities open up, and then God just provides. I want to tell you, if you want to have rough stuff in your life, you take that responsibility into your own hands. Then you need to deal with it. Then you don't have God with you. As Tumi said it so beautifully while we were busy prepping this, it's either 100% by myself or 90% with God. Much rather take the 90. Money is a test. The last thing that Jesus ends off with, and that's where I want to end this morning, Verse 12, he says, And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I'm like, what? Jesus, what are you saying? Someone else's property. What do you mean someone? This is my property. This is my stuff. What do you mean someone else's property? What Jesus is saying is probably what our money would be telling us. He's saying that we own nothing. We only manage what we have. How do we know we don't owe the money we have? When you die, does the money go with you? It stays here. 
meaning you only manage it for the little bit of time and little bit of opportunity that you have available. Someone else owns it. And the question here then is, if you do not own it and you manage it, who are we managing it for? In fact, money would tell you, the moment you think you owe me, I actually owe you. That's what I do. I have your heart. You are mine. Who are you managing your money for? I'm a means, not an end. I'm a tool, and I'm a taste. I can add meaning to your life. Do not get me confused. I am not the meaning of life. Let's pray. I want to give you an opportunity just there where you're sitting right now and think about this amazing tool God has given you and the opportunity to turn your stuff into stories. And then God is entrusting you and me with worldly wealth to make an eternal impact. And I want to pray for you this morning. I don't want to make it a public moment. I want to make it a moment between you and God. But I really want to pray that God's Spirit would guide you with wisdom to think shrewdly, to think ahead with what He has entrusted to you. Father, this morning, as we look at the parable of the shrewd manager, we come before you, we trust you, and we hear your voice as you're saying, guys, money is not the end. It's only a means. It's just a tool. And I'm tasting you to see if you can be entrusted with more. And Father, I come and pray that our people sitting here that's hearing this, that's longing to be trusted with more. Father, I come and pray in Jesus' name that you would strengthen each and every one of us through your spirit. Guide us with godly wisdom to invest into eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.